Welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio. Hey guys, Evan Lewis here with another episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. In this episode, I chat with Taylor Coolis, Director of Programmatic Advertising for The Score. We really break down the topics of programmatic advertising, sales, and negotiation, and Taylor has some fantastic insights. Hope you enjoy it. Taylor, why don't you give us just a quick overview of you know, how you got to be where you are today, a little bit of your background. Yeah, for sure. So um, obviously, like uh, you went through working at the score, which is a big one for me. Uh, growing up in Kitchener-Waterloo area, the score was the only sports station I, I watched, you know, fast forwarding to my interview with the score. Uh, they always get you down to that final question where they say, why should you work at the score? Why do you want to work at the score? And I told them that when I went away to school at Western, um, my mom bought me a TV for my bedroom. And uh, so I threw it in in first year and then I threw it out when I moved out in fourth year because the score ticker was burned into the bottom of the screen and there was nothing else that I could watch other than the score. It was the only channel that worked. So I've been a big fan of the product, the property since before I started. So obviously getting a chance to work there was was a dream come true. and it's kind of, uh, you know, one of those stories where you can't really predict what's going to happen, you know, to, not to be cliche, you just kind of do the right things and, and good things will happen. Uh, so I went to school at, at Western with you, obviously. And uh, towards the end of our career there, we started the Western Sports Business Club because, uh, you know, I didn't really want to get into banking. I was looking at law to be a sports agent. Uh, but I mean, if, if all these different careers, marketing, banking, sales if I wanted a job I knew how to get from A to B but then there's director of marketing for the London Knights like how does one get into that realm and get into sports so uh, we got involved there and and that kind of started the drive towards you know working in sports and then uh, started working on a sports management conference in Toronto here uh, selling sponsorships and and getting involved that way I also worked at uh, the Accelerator Center in Waterloo, which is part of, similar to Mars. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah. a sister company, uh, Communitech, uh, specializing in mobile startups. So I basically volunteered for about a year and a half, uh, trying to get myself into technology and or sports space. So obviously ending up at the score was a nice combination of the two. Um, and when I was selling sponsorships for a sports management conference, I knew TSN was a sponsor and Sportsnet was a sponsor. And my favorite company, The Score, was not. So I just kind of made it a little joke's mission to get a hold of somebody at The Score and try to get them to uh, to sponsor the Primetime Sports Conference. And uh, after like four or five calls, I finally got a hold of the guy. And he ended up being one of their digital sales reps. And he said, yeah, I had your voicemail on here from before. Thanks for following up. Things have been crazy. So there's another side lesson about, you know, it's never a bad idea to follow up on yep. a couple phone calls. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, you've got me 30 seconds shoot. And I gave him the pitch on the the sports management conference, what we were trying to do, who was going to be attending, and why I thought the score should be there. And he was in. So uh, he they ended up doing lanyards. That was one of them. Was Scott Moore was going to be the, the president of Rogers Sportsnet. And, they, and Gary Batman was the speaker as well, commissioner of the NHL. 
And I said, I'll put a, a score lanyard around Scott Moore's neck if you guys sponsor the lanyards for the name tags. And he's like, no, that is a close. He's like, I like that. All right, fine, I'm in. So uh, when I went there to meet him, uh, Justin Vandenberg was his name, good friend of mine. He's now at Twitter. Uh, he, uh, he said, look, we have a position that's opening, digital coordinator. So basically there were two direct sales guys that worked with media agencies on behalf of the SCORE Digital. And uh, he said, we need somebody to kind of, you know, bring us in and make sure that we're more organized from a, from a pitch perspective, a costing perspective, an execution perspective, making sure contracts go out and, and creative is organized and everything's ready to roll on that front. So um, that's fast forwarding into the interview. <laughs> I had no digital media experience. I didn't even know what an agency was. I was just so into the score and into mobile and into sports and into tech that, I think I just twisted their arm enough to uh, to bring me on board. So uh, that was kind of the the long and short of how I started there. And then you know from that point forward, the story gets uh, you know almost even wilder because it was it was perfect timing to land at that place. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Going back to the uh, the WSBC Western Sports Business Club. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a couple of years younger than than Taylor, and I remember when I was going through exactly the similar thing, like. Fuck finance, fuck yeah. you know, the traditional whatever. I know. Because I was in Ivy and I wasn't, that was what everyone was steering towards. I'm like, well, what do I love? I love sports, right? So I managed to stumble across Patrice Whitman, who's the, yep. uh, the co-founder of that club. And uh, so anyways, I start going to these sports business club meetings and you were you're maybe at half of them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Story I, I was, of my life. Patrice would always be like, "Oh, the man, the myth, the legend, Taylor, <laughs> the coolest, the coolest man on the blog." Oh, so the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny how that comes full circle, but uh, and that's when yeah, you you did a sponsorship in my trade show, so I was the yeah. manager of the trade show, and that's when you did mine puck. Mine so puck. It's very true. Me, me and Lewis go way back, and <laughs> and that was just kind of where I got my start. And like I said, to if somebody told me that I'd be working at the score and advertising sales when I was in my final year of university, like that just didn't even really compute. So, um, but then, yeah, so to, to keep it going, I guess a little bit, uh, starting out, uh, the score when I was there, I was there for, uh, the first six months I was the digital coordinator there. Everything was great. Um, it obviously was the score television network. That was the beast, the behemoth broadcast, you know, $35 million in sales, you know, massive television network. And then we were the score digital team. There were 60 of us. It was a few digital sales guys, myself, uh, some online writers for the score.com. And then a lot of developers and, and the tech team that kind of made the, they, they were the straw that stirred the drink and, and brought the app up to what it was. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the score app, it was on the razor. It was yep. on Blackberry. It was the first sports app in the iOS app store. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was kind of a skunk works project that was funded by the revenues from the broadcast network. Hmm. And, uh, and then one day overnight, it all changed. And that day was about six months after I started and our CEO and our president sold the broadcast network to Rogers so August 2012, uh, all of a sudden we went from a 350-person TV company to a 60-person digital company uh, overnight. And what that did is it kind of opened up the opportunity for me uh, to play a major role in the you know, strategic direction of the score from a sales perspective. 
and build that business out with guys who were my friends and a team of people who I was really close with, which I'm sure we'll get into a little mm-hmm. bit later on in terms of team and culture and, and you know, why we're as successful as we are, uh, you know, right now in July of 2015. It has a lot to do with the people that were on board from the beginning and are still there to this day. Mm-hmm. And um, we moved over uh, to become a fully focused digital company. Uh branching away from broadcast, moved down the street. We were a team of 60 in April 2013 when we moved into that office. And now we're approaching 200 and we were one app and now we're four. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a really exciting breakdown of how, you know, that evolved. And then, you know, I'm, I'm not sure when you want to get into it, but the explanation of how I, I got into sales and, and programmatic was all around the same time. Uh, because you know we needed to figure out how to make money at this thing, and we had to figure it out fast. Yeah, so I want to jump in really quickly and just let our listeners know just exactly how boss of a move that is that uh, the <laughs> leadership of the score pulled off. So they completely, basically, go through a very, I assume, a very lucrative ac- acquisition of their television channel, which had been largely, you know, successful for a lot of years, but managed to keep. Who would be <laughs> literally the most valuable going forward uh, part of the part of the business, which is the entire mobile app and all that entire brand um, at its core. So uh, under know, undercover, the, they you know it's kind of looked at as one of the best media negotiations yeah. in you know Canadian sports media history in the sense that uh, you know to my knowledge that was something that our CEO was never going to give up was the Score Mobile right that's. And he retained the brand, and we retained the, the name, we retained everything, and we just sold the television network. Now, Rogers, I think what happened with them was they knew that they were about to acquire the rights to the NHL. So they needed multiple channels on basic cable uh, in order to run these primetime games that they were about to acquire the rights to. So it was, you know, in the end, it was a good deal for everyone. Like Sportsnet has their own app. We did a a deal right after the sale where we built the the Rogers Sportsnet app for them. Uh, That deal recently ended and then they relaunched their own app and kudos to them. I think it's a great app. It, you know, it does the trick. And I think all in all, it was a win on all sides. We, our, our leadership team got out of broadcast. You know, that's a bit of a bloodbath, man. Like. Sports rights are going for the NBA deals twenty four billion. Just look at any uh, NFL deal; it's like four years, ten billion type thing. Mm-hmm. So, and then the NHL one was one and a half billion for for Rogers. So we were starting the Score Television Network was starting to lose the ability to compete with companies as big as Rogers and Bell, and uh, it was a perfect segue into uh, just continuing the business that we had. And I mean, we're headquartered in Toronto. It started in Toronto, but we're very much a global business and continuing to focus on that. So it's a really cool success story from a, a Toronto-based media company kind of branching out and taking on the bigger, the likes of ESPN and CBS Sports and Fox Sports in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And from a daily fantasy sports perspective, the FanDuel's and the DraftKings and, mm-hmm. and then our esports app. So it's, it's you know, it's pretty exciting. That's a beautiful thing. So in terms of uh, the growth that you guys have gone through, I mean, obviously you were a very core guy, you know, on the sales team through the last couple of years when you guys have, you know, grown revenues massively, right? So in terms of 
uh, the agency sales that you've done and kind of the experience you've gone through. Um, I'd love to just get a, you know, a picture of um, that experience and uh, kind of the, your best learning on dealing with agencies and, um, and growing revenues through them. Yeah, for sure. So um, being a, a sales coordinator, like the job that they hired me for was sort of the best thing that could ever happen to me in terms of building out a sales career because it's you're kind of like an articling student right you're working for lawyers like now like I, if it's like a lawyer of digital media you have to do all the things that the guys that you're working for can do but it's not an effective use of their time right so costing charts putting rfps and decks together for proposals and and sending contracts collecting creative so it taught me everything that i needed to know about how to sell advertising and specifically mobile advertising and specifically, specifically mobile <laughs> male sports advertising, which, yeah. you know, the score is a beast, but it's very niche as well, right? Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's not the be all and end all solution to advertising like a Facebook and Google or Twitter, uh, you know, AOL, Yahoo, Microsoft, yep. et cetera. So, um, so the, to explain how you go from being a coordinator to running programmatic, and the lesson there is, is when I did my undergrad, I did a double major business and psych. Like I always liked dealing with two contrasting things at a time <laughs> yep. and programmatic was in its infancy. So our vice president of sales, his name's Ethan Ross. He was the vice president of sales at a mobile ad network in the U S called millennial media. <laughs> and uh, he came over to the score and millennial media specializes in monetizing unsold inventory that isn't sold to agencies by your direct sales team. So he brought with him a roster or a business model, an early stage one of how to monetize a, an app if you're, as you're growing your agency sales business. Okay. So when I was a coordinator, he kind of came to me, my, my career in programmatic started as a, our finance team doesn't want to pull these reports anymore. Can you pull them? <laughs> So he said, I'll, I'll send you the, the, the sites, I'll send you the logins, and I'll tell you step-by-step step how you do it. But essentially, uh, we need to know how much money we made every month from our programmatic, back then they were ad networks, our ad network partners in the U.S., um, and you just send me the report at the end of the month. So I would log in, and I'd be an ad mob, and ad mob would make $23,000 in 30 days, and they'd do... 10 million impressions and they do a dollar 30 ECPM and I'm writing all this down on a piece of paper and then saving the Excel file down and I'm sending it to Ethan to say, Hey, we made $64,000 last month on our programmatic buys. Uh, at the same time I was learning agency sales, right? Mm -hmm. So I was really building up, uh, an understanding of how to sell to agencies and agencies are very different. You know, agencies are the guys that big brands, uh, hire to do their ad buys for them, right? Mm -hmm. If you're uh, Volkswagen, you don't know the Toronto media market. So you go to Mediacom and you say, Hey, Mediacom, I'm going to give you $20 million. I want you to handle all my advertising buys mm -hmm. for broadcast, print, radio, digital, and mobile. And that's what Mediacom does uh, in its business. Um, so I did programmatic while learning the trade of, of agency sales and the agency sales, man, were the cool kids in school. Like those are the guys with the credit cards. Those are the guys with the courtside Raptors tickets. Those are the guys that could take out entire teams and say, Hey, Ford, Budweiser, you know, let's go out. Let's, you know, here's what we can do for a hundred grand. We'll give you NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. And I learned on both sides of the fence the entire time, uh, 
I saw how our, our direct guys did agency sales. And then I also saw how Ethan did our programmatic sales. And they're two, two completely different ball games in terms of what clients need on the other end. So from an agency perspective, those guys just want to look good to their clients. <laughs> I guess, I mean, everybody wants to look good to their clients, but those yeah. guys really want to look good uh, to their clients because uh, it's such a competitive space in the agency world where they're always looking for the next big idea. They're always looking for the next opportunity to, uh, to be first to market with. And if Mediacom doesn't do a good enough job for Volkswagen, the next time the account comes up for review, Volkswagen goes to Kara, they go to OMD, they go to PhD. There are a lot of different places to go. Um, it's very relationship-based, very relationship-based, because they can go anywhere, right? They can buy advertising from any publisher. They can get mail sports from you know, Rogers from TSN from Bell. So agencies very, the first and foremost is relationship based. So they have to trust you. They have to know that what you say you're going to do, you're going to do. And when you build those out, you grow essentially deals, right? Mm -hmm. So with, with Volkswagen, you say, look, I can give you better rates the minute that you guarantee me you're going to spend a hundred thousand or 150,000. And when you do that, I'll give you NBA, NHL and NFL. And it's very, uh, deal by deal, brand by brand, agency by agency. Um, that is starting to change now with programmatic. That old school, traditional style of advertising sales is being disrupted very quickly. And that was the the thing that I was learning at the same time that, that this story is going on, yep. that I was learning while growing the programmatic business on the side at the same time. Wicked. So... I want to kind of break down now like the the fabric of a deal from an agency perspective. So I mean that seems to be again very peer to peer, very sort of you know you build a relationship, you're you're growing it, but then how does so from you know you're at the score, uh, you go to I mean you can maybe walk us through like one of the um, some of the deals that you've put together. And then, you know, the different steps that you have to go through to actually close a deal on just a person to person with an agency and then how that is changing now from a programmatic perspective. Like, you know, if you, because obviously there's, you know, for, for our listeners here who don't really understand and to be honest, I don't really understand how they, you know, all the ad networks work and all that type of stuff. So if you could just walk through kind of the, you know, the different steps that, that, you know, if a company's buying advertising, the steps that they go through to, you know, to get ad space on the score. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, direct versus programmatic. And I think maybe before I go too much into continuing to explain direct, I'll just give a high level on, on programmatic, yeah, right? Sure. So um, uh, programmatic, you see its origins everywhere else, right? It's not unique to advertising, right? Uh, I think the airline industry is one of the first large-scale examples of programmatic, which would be, uh, it's essentially an automated method of transacting something, right? It's, yep. it's um, you have an excess of inventory. It's, it's a byproduct, essentially, of supply and demand, right? So when you have a high supply of something and a somewhat low demand or ever-changing demand or dynamic demand, pricing isn't as simple as this is how much this costs. Beer break, cheers. Beer break, cheers, bud. There we go. Thank you, sir. Please continue. Um, so Air Canada has sales, right? Like you can go to their site and you can buy a flight mm -hmm. for an Air Canada flight. But the minute that plane takes off, 
you'll never sell a seed on it again. Right. Right. So what started happening was the, the disruptive factor comes in the form of Priceline, Expedia, yep. Hotwire, et cetera, where okay. those guys are saying, go ahead, Delta, Air Canada, American Airlines, sell to all your frequent flyers, sell to all your own you know, personal deals on your own sites, mm-hmm. but you won't sell out every flight. And when you don't sell out every flight, you should make some of those seats available to us because we're going to sell them in a different way to a different audience. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get the price that you wanted for it, mm-hmm. but it's going to be better than the $0 that you're going to get when that plane takes off. Okay. And the same thing happens in the hotel industry, right? So, you know, you look at hot wire hotels, you look at uh, anything where, where there's a, a lot of competition in the space mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of options to to transact on those uh, different options, a lot of ways to transact on those different options, that's where programmatic comes into play. So for advertising, what started to happen is you look on mobile, there's trillions of available ad impressions all over the place, right? right. Your people are on their phone all the time. Yep. Why should somebody buy yours is number one. And why should they buy it for the price that you're selling it for? Mm-hmm. So the difference between the deal, programmatic deal and the direct deal, and I've, you know, before I, went in recently and moved to full director of programmatic, I was a direct account executive as well. So I don't want to throw that trade under the bus per se, but the level of sophistication involved and the level of efficiency, very low, Mm -hmm. uh, sophistication, not, not very, not very high. Yep. Um, very relationship based and the amount of accountability, uh, is, is, you know, very foggy. So when you become a trusted rep or a trusted person in the industry, mm-hmm. uh, you aren't held to the same level of scrutiny on every ad buy that you would be programmatically, right? Okay. So uh, if you have a great relationship, for example, with a Budweiser and they know your site and they've bought it before and they'll buy it again, it becomes less of a show and prove of why should I buy you again? And it becomes more, what are you going to do for me that you're not doing for somebody else? What, what, uh, are you going to improve your bonus percentage? Are you going to lower your rates for me a little bit? Are you going to uh, kick in something else? Are you going to bonus a campaign? Are you going to help me out with this other thing that I'm planning? It becomes very old school, right? Yeah. Like direct sales. And that's very similar to how it was in the newspaper days, like print, yeah. uh, radio, television. Um, and then the flip side. So the deal start to finish would be I'm a direct rep and I represent an agency I get in touch with that brand uh, at that agency. So if it's uh, Subway at Kara, yep. uh, you go in, you meet the team, you say, hey, I'm your score rep. Uh, we do mobile mail sports, and I know you guys are big supporters of sports. Uh, the next time that you guys are, are looking to buy media, send us an RFP, make sure we get a chance to, to put our best foot forward and let you know mm-hmm. what we can do during that time frame for that budget that you've presented. Okay. Um, and then it becomes, yeah, like very, very deal-based negotiations, right? Rates, custom content, um, major event sporting tent poles that you can align them with, uh, yep. category exclusivity so that you don't have them, you know, advertising side-by-side side with a McDonald's or yep. a Tim Hortons. Uh, those are the things that matter in that direct scenario. The best thing, it's, it's almost sponsorship, right? It's yep. very similar to a sponsorship sale, right? Mm-hmm. Where... The focus is on the deal, the focus is on the brand, the focus is on the premium inventory, the focus is on the getting what other people can't get, get knocking your competitors out. Right. The the programmatic sale, while similar in nature, is completely different. Interesting. 
So in terms of the when you go into a, a subway or those types of you know those types of companies and you've got a big direct campaign going on, let's say I know I know you did you've done cool stuff with. I forget that ladder company for the NCAA. Werner Ladder, my yeah. boy. Shout out to Dan Adcock at Werner Ladder. Yeah, exactly. Right. They so, were March Madness, the official ladder of March Madness. Perfect. So with those types of campaigns, you're going to um, you're going to the Werner Ladder guys. What are the metrics that you're talking about? Like you're going to get X amount of impressions, click throughs. Like what's kind of the the breakdown of the metrics that you guys are selling? That's a great question. Those are the those are the two big ones: impressions. So they want to know like scale, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a, a powerful factor in digital that you don't get in other advertising mediums. Like how do you sell a billboard on the side of the gardener and tell somebody how many people saw it right? or who saw it or right. how often how often they saw it? Mm-hmm. The only thing you can tell them is how many people drive on the gardener, mm-hmm. give or take, right. right? Whereas to word or ladder, I can tell them exactly how many people saw that banner because it's a mobile phone. There's only one ad on the screen at a time mm-hmm. and we measure the impressions. The name of the game is to drive people to their sites. Yep. Right? So that's where click-through rates come in. How many people did you drive to their landing pages? How much traffic did you provide them on the back end? They, a lot, different brands have different KPIs. So maybe it's in-store sales. Maybe for an auto company, it's booking a test drive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe it's just getting uh, traffic and visitors up on their corporate website. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing that we sell to Warner is exclusivity, right? So yep. we'll sell them 50% share of voice of the March Madness section. So yep. one out of every two banners when a game is on uh, is going to be a Warner Ladder banner. Mm-hmm. That level of coverage is extremely important because then when they turn around and they justify their marketing spend, they mm-hmm. say these are the high impact things that we got, right? Yep. So to the way, way, way higher scale, think yep. Super Bowl commercial, uh, think the ACC Toronto Maple Leafs game, four logos on the ice, four Tim Hortons, yep. Nike, and uh, you know Easton or something, yep. right? You, you get to bring back, that's the sexy factor. That's yep. where... Direct sales sponsorships have that sexy element to them, and that's that's what will sell somebody like Warner Ladder for a big sponsorship execution. Gotcha. So, I mean, the way I'm kind of picturing it, right, is like the direct sales are kind of the, these big, sexy campaigns, but then obviously the um, you know the programmatic side of things is really you know filling the void and all the you know all the kind of little things on the periphery that wouldn't otherwise get sold. Um, you know, that's all done through. So, if you could break break that down, like from a programmatic perspective. Um, you know, you guys have all this excess inventory, like you said, trillions of impressions that could be filled. How do you go about kind of filling those, um, you know, through ad networks and that type of thing? Absolutely. So, I mean, version 1.0 is in the way that programmatic was traditionally looked at was sold and unsold, right? So they call it unsold inventory, which I think is, you know, kind of interesting because technically it becomes sold when you transact it programmatically. But Mm -hmm. so to categorize an entire, uh, pool of inventory is unsold inventory. It, I don't personally like that dichotomy, sold, unsold. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's different ways you can look at it. First class inventory, business class inventory, coach inventory, etc. Um, so, but you're right. The big sexy sponsorships still don't fill 100% of the impressions. Depending mm-hmm. on the time, how busy the app is, you're looking anywhere from 30 to 50, right? So same with airplanes. You're going to sell anywhere from 30 to 50% of the seats on any flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you make really high priced margins on those ones that you sold directly, mm-hmm. the minute that that plane takes off and you don't sell the rest of the seats, the value of those seats that you did sell gets reduced, 
because you must include the inventory that you didn't sell when evaluating your overall sales, right? Yep. So uh, that's kind of the, the, the back and forth between programmatic and direct. So 1.0, version 1.0, like when I was telling you, you know, when I started and I was just pulling reports on uh, programmatic, here's how much money we made from AdMob, like make sure our finance team doesn't get mad that <laughs> they have to pull the reports anymore. Mm -hmm. It was really entry level. There was nothing special about it, um, and it was essentially ad networks who we were part of their uh, massive group of portfolio apps kind of, yeah. that their portfolio that they yeah. would go out to advertisers themselves and they'd yeah. say, hey, we'll run ads on all these different sites, uh -huh. uh, not anyone in particular, but you give us this amount of money and then we will optimize on our end. So this is where it kind of you can go on to Tangent Town if you want. Yeah. They optimize by the second on performance. So you don't get that same once you do a big sponsorship deal, for the most part, unless something happens, it's kind of locked in. Yeah. Right? They're they're not evaluating it not even daily, a lot of times not even weekly, but let alone by the second, right? right. So version 1.0 was these ad networks would uh, would plug into the score and they would buy the inventory that our direct sales team didn't sell. And when we sold the broadcast network, it was funny because now you have these big TV guys, traditional guys that still wanted to keep the app and wanted to stay in the game. And now they're looking at the revenue that came in from a mobile perspective and the line that was really exciting to them, you know, whatever you want to call it, was the ad network programmatic line. It was growing month over month. Mm -hmm. It made a lot of money. It was low margin because nobody was really being paid. You don't have like big high high salary reps like yep. going out and doing like you have with the fancy sponsorship stuff. Yep. Um, and they were kind of excited at the prospect of where this revenue was, was going to come from. So 1.0 was just selling what our direct guys didn't sell. And it wasn't specially targeted to leagues. It wasn't uh, very relationship based. 2.0 is kind of where programmatic is now where there are a lot of tier one brands that do not buy direct anymore and they won't and they've made it a corporate initiative to never buy in that traditional direct sponsorship fashion wow. and will only transact programmatically so a couple that i can think of american express american express buys a hundred percent of its advertising programmatically hmm. p and g is moving towards buying 100 percent of its stuff programmatically unless there is a, a very, very specific need to buy direct. And like, I'll give you one of them. We did a, uh, a really cool deal with P&G, obviously massive, massive amount of brands underneath that mm -hmm. corporate umbrella. Uh, they have Swiffer. Swiffer was a big Raptors sponsor. Swiffer was a big Amir Johnson sponsor. So okay. they wanted the Raptors audience in Canada on mobile to, to kind of align with their ACC, Toronto Raptors, yep. Amir Johnson sponsorship. So they did a direct sale. Mm -hmm. uh, but from a programmatic perspective, other than that, Swiffer isn't going to just go buy the score or go buy one site. Mm -hmm. They're going to transact programmatically. So what's starting to happen is it's less now direct sold versus unsold. And it's more now laying out all of your impressions evenly and kind of saying, how are you going to package and sell your inventory? Hmm. What are you going to have your direct guys going to market and selling? Yep. And what are you going to make available programmatically? Because you can't make something available programmatically at a lower price and then have a direct sales team going out and selling the same thing for higher. Hmm. So it's you need to decide what's more valuable. And the you know version 1.0 of programmatic, the big thing was always if you're a premium publisher, you don't want to have 
your programmatic business cannibalizing your direct business, yep. right? So mm -hmm. if you're if you're the score and you're selling major sponsorships to March Madness, yep. and then you make a whole bunch of inventory available programmatically at the same time, it, you can't have your cake and eat it too, yep. right? You can't expect to be premium and then sell whatever you don't sell directly cheaply because this beer that you gave me, if I can buy this beer from you for a dollar, why am I going to buy it from you for 10? Right. And if I buy it from you for 10 and find out that I can buy it from you for a dollar, I'm not going to be very happy. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, now what it's moving into is programmatic is becoming a lot more sophisticated and we're making a lot more things available programmatically that we didn't make available before. Mm -hmm. So 1.0 was don't have programmatic cannibalize your direct sales. Mm -hmm that causes you to put a lot of rules in place to protect your direct sales business, to make sure that programmatic isn't messing with that, you know, golden goose, if you will. Yep. 2.0 is don't have direct sales cannibalize programmatic. Because if you put too many rules in place that protect your direct sales business, when 80% of the industry is buying programmatically, you're putting a lot of pressure on your direct sales guys to offset the programmatic revenue that you're turning away because you won't sell March Madness programmatically. You won't sell that ad unit programmatically. You'll only do it direct. Well, if your direct guys don't sell it or sell enough of it, maybe you're leaving too much money on the table programmatically, whereas before... Mm -hmm. making that stuff available programmatically just hurt your direct business which was way more valuable than programmatic mm -hmm. now it's the tables are starting to flip a little bit so our big brands do they still use agencies like i'm sure this is causing a complete clusterfuck for agencies right because one of like, the most disruptive things you could imagine yeah. yeah so are they doing do they have like pro, you know does amex have a programmatic person in-house that's dealing with all that stuff they're, they're dealing with ad networks or are they still working with an agency or like how does that stuff that's work? a fantastic question that segues into agencies have things called agency trading desks okay which handle their programmatic buying mm -hmm. so an agency trading desk is a is a subsidiary of a larger agency okay that specializes in buying programmatically so if you look at the Dentsu Aegis network okay. is a massive massive uh, agency network, Kara, um, Dentsu Boss, yep. Aegis Innovate, Visium, etc. They use a trading desk called Amnet. And okay. what Amnet does is, so if you're Subway, for example, mm -hmm. Subway will say, hey, the score, we want March Madness, we want it to be premium, we want category ex exclusivity, yep. and uh, we want content, okay. we want launch pages, we want all this stuff. Yep. And then Subway also goes to Amnet and says, I want you know, adult 18 to 34 on the go, they buy audiences, yep. right? Programmatically. So is it causing disruption in agencies? Absolutely. When, when a big company used to have 100% of its digital budget, uh, purchased directly, yep. the, the margins for agencies were higher. The, the freedom and flexibility, mm -hmm. uh, was for agencies was higher to kind of decide where they wanted to buy and with who and for how much, um, programmatic has leveled the playing field because now it's all, it's, it's very transparent. Yep. It, it really levels the efficiency walls, um, the performance walls. And now brands are starting to have a better understanding of what they're getting for their money. Right. And that's like in any tech, in any technological evolution, like advertising right now is being hit with the programmatic technological evolution yeah. and really all it's doing is it's adding efficiency, accountability yeah. and effectiveness, right? To, to an otherwise 
you know, I guess you call it somewhat fat industry before, right? Mm-hmm. It really trims the fat and, and narrows down what is, what is a brand's goals? What are they trying to do with their ad dollars? And the, the, the goal or the pitch or the, the angle of programmatic is we, we buy advertising based on all of your inputs that you're looking to achieve mm-hmm. and we execute it as efficiently and effectively as possible. That's pretty tough to compete with. Agencies, that's tough to compete with. Yeah. Uh, direct style sponsorship sales, very tough to compete with that. So I did version 1.0, version 2.0, and, and we're heading now into version 3.0, which is what I'm going to be doing for the score moving forward, which mm-hmm. is the blend of programmatic and direct sales, which literally the buzzword is called programmatic direct. <laughs> that's exactly what it's called and programmatic direct is to make direct style packages available to transact programmatically for people who want to buy them that way instead of the old way wow mm-hmm. huh. so in terms of I guess the scope of your job now and I mean obviously this is a you've been kind of groomed into this director of programmatic job for a while now but like what are what have you been kind of prepping for? Obviously, it's a lot of strategy. You've built a ton of relationships. So what does kind of the next, like, 6 to 12 months look like for you in terms of, like, the, you know, the shit you need to figure out? For sure. So the, the next 6 to 12 months for me is filling the gap between the low-end uh, unsold inventory stuff that we monetize with ad networks and what are called open exchanges. Mm-hmm. And then the direct sold sponsorship style stuff, which is, you know, 12 floors up, there are middle floors in the middle. And those middle floors are programmatic direct. Those middle floors are called private marketplaces. And those middle floors are working with those agency trading desks, like I talked about, Amnet, Acuin is Omnicom Media Group's trading desk. Um, Cadreon is another massive trading desk. And so my next six to 12 months, is exactly like I said before, I'm trying to figure out how we at the score are going to package and sell our inventory so that we get the most value out of our highest value inventory (laughs) and we provide the most value to our clients to make sure that we're charging them exactly what they should and need to be charged for the inventory that they're buying. So six to 12 months is going to be determining, you know, agency by agency, brand by brand, client by client, how do you want to transact? Like, how do you want to buy advertising? And it's bigger than the score. Like, we're just one publisher, right? So I'm on a a fact-finding mission. Like, I ask more questions in all my meetings than I, like, I don't walk in and go, hey, we're the score. I want to know how their buying habits are evolving and and how, what's the most convenient way for them to buy? Because there are some people who might say, you know what, I would love to buy March Madness, and I would give you $100,000 for it. But I can't write you a check for $100,000 and then let you handle it. I need to do it programmatically. So how can I make a $100,000 March Madness package available to an advertiser that has a mandate, you know, it could be above their head, all the way up, whether it's agency level, client direct level, uh, where they can only buy programmatically. So can I make a sponsorship available programmatically? Like it isn't black and white anymore. There's a massive growing gray area where uh, it's kind of adapt or die. You have to evolve and all publishers are evolving. You're going to start seeing positions like mine popping up in all different places and all different publishers. 
trying to be an internal educator, an external educator, mm-hmm. and somebody who, who positions themselves as, as I'm a facilitator to make sure that we, we have clients in the app buying sports advertising however they want to buy it, whether it's a sponsorship, whether it's uh, open exchange, just plugging in mm-hmm. you know, your ad network or mm-hmm. plugging us into your ad network. Yep. Um, or whether it's a private marketplace where we make our inventory available on a spot basis, which is also can be a very, you know, depending on how deep you want to go on that conversation, the, the method, like right now we're still like at the strategy, like 30,000 foot theory, but the method and the technology involved Mm -hmm. is, is a a very complicated thing to figure out. Um, and that's what my next six to 12 months is going to be because programmatic on desktop has been around for ages, right? right? So yep. think about how simple desktop is, you know, some, you create a website. Yep. Um, they've been doing programmatic advertising on desktop since MySpace, right? Yep. Where you have big boxes and leaderboards and you have them all over the web. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get into mobile, you're, you're getting into apps, native apps, privacy policies, iOS, Android, different layers of code, right? Ruby on Rails for Android apps, Swift and Python yep. for iOS. Yep. Uh, getting the, I know we have a massive amount of supply and I know there's a massive amount of demand and I know where they are and I know who they are and they know who I am. Yep. How do I connect us in the middle? That's my next six to 12 months. So are you hiring then, like does your dev team, do you have guys that are just working all day on like the programmatic infrastructure, all that type of stuff? Like how does that, how does that work? I wish. <laughs> if you, if okay. you find any guys uh, <laughs> that want to work 100% of the time on my programmatic technology concerns, that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, no, our, our devs are working on a myriad of things, right? Like they're, yeah. they're working on app improvements, app launches, app releases, mm-hmm. new sections, new app products. But I do, at the score, we have an incredible team. So like to, to add context to the 60-person uh, team that we were when we sold the television network and then moving over to the new space. Yeah. We're a tech company that does sports, yeah. not the other way around. We're not a sports company. Like that's good at tech. Yeah. Like we have 45 developers in house, right? We don't, we don't outsource development. So like we have, if you come into our space and if anybody listening wants to come by for a beer, 500 King fourth floor, <laughs> Uh, it's kind of like the East and West Wing, and like the East Wing is all developers. So these are the guys that you know dial in headphones on. We do all the in-house coding, um, and they are passionate about the product. And that's why the the app, the Score app, is one of the best apps, sports apps rated because it performs, it's fast, it's quick. They know what they're doing. On the other side, you have the shitty sales guys in the corner. No one likes to pay attention <laughs> to talk to. But we have our content guys, sixty writers. Um, so we have everything in-house. And I have a really good data and analytics team that I work with who are, because this is a really fucking complicated problem, right? Like, uh, how do you connect advertisers programmatically to our inventory Mm -hmm. and you have millions of transactions per second? Mm -hmm. How are you measuring it? What are the discrepancies between what one system is saying, like the number of impressions one system is saying you've ran and another system is saying Mm -hmm. something else? Uh, so I do get a lot of help from my dev teams on projects that I need help with. Yep. We have like a best in class ad operations team and they do both programmatic and direct. So, uh, you know, if somebody says, here's a hundred thousand dollar buy for the NHL playoffs, here's the banners I want to run. Mm-hmm. Our ad ops team loads them in, flights it, start date, end date. 
and then it runs. Okay. Uh, and from a programmatic perspective, that's when all the, the that's when the real complicated stuff yep. starts because um, if you can look at it this way, pretend you have your phone in your hand mm -hmm. and you load up a Montreal Canadiens Toronto Maple Leafs box score. It's fourteen nothing in the second Montreal. <laughs> like, it's pretty wild. You know the the beat down has commenced. Right, I had to that, do it. I had to do it. <laughs> big, big house fan. Fuck the Leafs. Um, so you look at it, and then when that banner pops up, an ad request is generated. Right, so it goes into our ad server, Mopub. Mopub was acquired by Twitter. Okay. Mopub stands for Mobile Publishing. So they were an ad server that wanted to specialize in in mobile ad serving because they're yep. big desktop ad serving again pretty simple mobile ad serving pretty complicated okay desktop programmatic been around forever uh pretty straightforward mobile programmatic pretty difficult okay so you're on that box score and the banner pops up the ad request goes out the server says is there a direct sold sponsorship campaign yes it gets filled right okay then someone else looks at a box score is there a direct sold kit like campaign available that needs to be fulfilled? Yes, it goes in. Another person loads it up. Is there a direct sold sponsorship that needs to be filled? No. Now the fun starts. Okay. Because what happens is it goes, no, there is no direct banner. And then it gets sent into the programmatic stack, which is who's going to pay what for that impression now that there isn't a direct one. And, and we have a team of guys that are, are building out the tools to help make that a more effective, efficient, accurate, like performing process. And we've, we've made unbelievable gains from where we were three years ago to where we are now. Okay, so that, that explains a little bit. So you guys are essentially, I, I, and I assume you guys have very strong partners in like the the Mopubs of the world and they're helping, they have a lot of the technology to, to be serving a lot of the, yes. those ads, right? But yep. you guys are trying to understand then, you're trying to understand, I guess, your users of the score more so you yep. can say definitively, you know, okay, based on all this information we can gather about the people that are using our app, then we can feed that to like the the Mopubs of the world and say, here's everything we know about this person, therefore feed them this Absolutely. Ad. Okay. Yep. So that's the, and data, same thing. Data yep. on desktops, very straightforward. Data management platforms have been around for ages, and you'll see it. Just go to an IKEA website, <laughs> yep. and shop around, mm -hmm. and then close the tab. Retargeting. And then open another mm -hmm. website, and then get served IKEA banners. Yep. They are very good on desktop. Very very difficult to do on mobile because mm -hmm. a desktop, it can be cookied. You have, on yep. the other end, they can have their own data platform. Think about how many iterations of the Score app there are on Android. There are like 1,600 Android devices or whatever there are, right? Yep. Think of how many there are on, on iOS. Yep. Data management is a massive thing for mobile mm -hmm. and something that we're building out a lot of. But you're right. It's the programmatic guys that have all the data because they're the guys that are getting all the ad requests. Do you want to buy this ad? No. Okay. But in that ad request, you have a lot of information. Yep. IDFA or UDID depending on the device, so like okay. the device ID, yep. lat long, where were they, okay. app that they're in, uh, you know, last time they sent an ad request. So they're yep. building massive user profiles and that's why programmatic, again, it's it's like a title fight and you picture the biggest, baddest, like scariest guy imaginable <laughs> who buys advertising for less, buys the right advertising on the right apps at the right time 
And that's, that's what the programmatic realm is building out. If you're a premium publisher, you will always have a need for direct sponsorship sales because mm-hmm. your inventory will always be valuable around the Super Bowl or around yep. NHL. It's the apps where you can't really carve out a section of inventory that is, is premium that are going to have to get very good at programmatic because um, that's going to be where the majority of the industry is going to move because that's just the smartest and easiest way to buy advertising, right? It's it's a disruptive thing. Man, we could literally dive into this for about three hours. I feel, but this is uh, this is beautiful. That's like that's super exciting. Such a crazy you know time to be in the space you're in. But um, before we finish up, I really yeah, want to yeah. get your best lessons on sales. Closing deals and sales in general, but also negotiation. Because one thing that stuck out to me that you mentioned is that the beauty of um, you know what we're both doing with I'm what I'm doing with Post Beyond with kind of a very new space. Um, you know, kind of the social trans how social media is now transforming businesses and touching every aspect of business. Absolutely, um, it's incredibly edu- It's an educational sale, right? It's you're yep. teaching people. Uh, because things are moving so fast and you have very specific knowledge in this area. And that's what stuck out to me when you're saying, you know, you're going in and it's purely a fact-finding mission. You're asking questions and you're trying genuinely to help understand, you know, how you can deliver value for these people. Solution-centric sales, like you're almost a consultant. Exactly. So, and, you know, I've heard uh, even... Congrats to you on your recent engagement, by the oh, way. That is, that is your, that was a great story about you know your negotiation tactics, uh, which I need to take some notes on. I hope Danny doesn't listen to this. <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of getting that you know price down to something that was uh, a little bit more reasonable. So I mean, I'd love if you could just you know spitball on some of your best uh, best lessons for anyone who's listening, who's you know looking to get into sales or is looking to improve their sales game. Um, you know, some of your best tactics, uh, and tools on that. Sure. I mean, uh, so spitballing, I'll just, I'll come up with, with a couple. And if I miss one, maybe we'll have to do a 2.0, uh, cause I've got, got a lot of these, but off the top of my head. Um, so I've done a lot of different sales. Like I've sold lawn care, I've sold, uh, suits at stars, I was a uh, 2001 audio video television sales guy. <laughs> I, uh, I was customer service and sales for Sprint. Like I've, I've done a lot of really stupid jobs, sport, <laughs> sport check sales and hockey equipment. So, um, so the best one that, that I've sort of seen in it, and it was one from uh, the television days. So, uh, one of my favorite metaphors. So the first one is is never assume, never ever assume what somebody's gonna do when they buy. So like your favorite one, somebody walks through the front door, um, and one guy's wearing track pants and a t-shirt, and he walks over to the right, and another guy comes in in a shirt and a tie, and he goes over to the left, and the sales guy jumps down in front of the other sales guy to run over to the guy in a shirt and tie. And you go, hey, sir, how are you doing? Can I help you today? And, and he goes, yeah, do you guys have VTech cordless phones? Like, I dropped my phone last night and <laughs> broke it. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, we've got them over here. And the guy in the track pants and the T-shirt goes, hey, man, yeah, I'm actually building a house around the corner, just moving in. I need four TVs. Uh, I'm going to have to, like, outfit my place. So never <laughs> assume anything when you go in. Like, that's back to the ask more questions and mm-hmm. uh, because you never really know uh, what you're going to run into. Um, we have, there's, there was always a term in TV sales and it's carriers and closers, right? And so don't be a carrier. And so the, I, for this one, my good friend is a real estate agent and I went with him a couple times. 
when he was going out and taking clients through a place, like we were going to go out for dinner. He's like, I got to meet some buddies and show them a condo they might rent. Okay, cool. I'll go with you. And uh, he's not a natural sales guy. So carriers are the guys where, you know, the woman comes in and she wants to buy a TV for her husband and they spend two hours with with her showing her every TV in the store. This is plasma. This is LED. This is LCD. This is the 1080p. This is what 120 hertz is. This is what 60 hertz yeah. is. And you carry them up the hill. So you educate them. This is like starting pitching and middle relief, right? <laughs> like this is, you get through the innings and, and you carry them all the way up. And then she's like, okay, well, that's really awesome. You know, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Do you have a card? And he's like, yeah. And he like writes his number on the card. She's probably not coming back. You know, and this is the girls, this is like hanging out with a chick at a bar all night. And then all of a sudden you don't know where she went because the, the moral of the story is you've got to go over the other side yep. and it, that's when it becomes uncomfortable. You got to close, yep. you know, you've got to say, Hey, let's get in the cab. You've yep. got to say, Hey, give me your card, buy this. Are you going to buy the TV? If you're going to buy the TV, you're not going to get a better deal from somebody other than me. So carriers and closers, a lot of guys in sales are afraid to close. Like my line about the TV in my interview with the score was a close, right? That was, yep. I threw out a TV because I destroyed it watching the score. That's why you have to hire me, right? I didn't go in there and go, oh, it would be, like I told them, you have to hire me for this team, yep. right? And um, so so that's just on like the approach, right? You, yep. you, you need to picture yourself as a Mariano Rivera. You got to close. Like, what do you <laughs> want to have happen? I worked with this brown guy that would say, give me your card. Yep. Put your card, put it right here. Give me your card. And then I'll show you a TV, right? <laughs> so he, he wouldn't, even, he would say like, I'm not going to go around and let, like, if you want to buy a TV, I'll give you a deal if you want to buy a TV. And that's kind of the circles over to my engagement ring story was yeah. I, I, I got a price and I said, I'm not going to do it. And I said, I need it for this. And he said, no. And then I said, okay, really appreciate it. Keep an eye out for something like that for me. And I got up and left yeah. knowing full well, right? The game is, uh, anything North of zero is a sale, right? So I got, you know, 30 feet down the street and my phone rang and he said, nice, you actually left. Okay. Come back. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you've got to set your, uh, standards and kind of pick your range of what you want to do. And, um, for for TV sales, the put your card on the table, like I'm not even going to have this conversation if, if you're not going to buy. Yep. I'm not even going to talk to you about a diamond if this isn't the price that I'm going to pay. People will respect that. And and the final sort of angle on, on sales is it's um, you're playing chess, right? So many people go, this is my price. I'm not paying that. Okay, bye, right? Move yep. one piece, right? So if you can't get them to budge on price you get them to budge on something else. Well, yeah. now you're going to lose category exclusivity and I'm going to let McDonald's in. Well, no, 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 no. I don't want you to let McDonald's in. Okay, well, then I need the price back, right? So you always have huh. multiple pieces that you can move at a time. Um, and the, you know, the third, and that kind of flows into the next one, which is always be prepared. Always be the yep. smartest guy in the room, yep. right? Don't, nobody should know more than you going into something. Yep. And, um, and when you're prepared and you're strong and you're a closer, not a carrier, and uh, you, you know what you're talking about, you'll probably sell. That's a wrap on another episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. Again, with this episode, we really tried to talk to someone with a lot of subject matter expertise and have them break down a complex topic, a really interesting topic like programmatic advertising that not a lot of people would typically have exposure to. Really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and you know, got some great lessons from Taylor. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at T Coolis. 
and obviously keep in touch with us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and join our community through email. Thanks, guys. Take care.